This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. I've given me. My heart is beating, hoping that that kiss will not become a scar. Hello and welcome to the sequel cast. The sequel cast is a show that looks at movies in a franchise one film at a time. We're in the middle of looking at the Star Wars saga, and this week we're taking a look at Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, which was released in 2002 and directed by George Lucas. Um, you can check out our website at sequelcast.com, and uh, our theme song is written and performed by Mark with a C. And the sequel cast, of course, is a uh, member of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. You can check more of those out at battleshippretension.com. With me is BJ. BJ, say hello. Okay, Thrasher. Hello. And very special guest, Rudy Obias, who he's a host of the Artur cast, which is also a member of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. And he also is a movies editor for Shakia.com. Rudy, welcome to SequelCast. Thank you for having me. Oh, any anytime, no problem. Um, so I'm looking at the 2002 domestic box office results, and Star Wars 2 Attack of the Clones is the lowest grossing Star Wars film. Not that it didn't make a profit, but that year it was number three in 2002. Do you want any guesses what to one and two were? Uh, I, would, I would say... Uh Two Towers? Lord of the Rings Two Towers might be up there? Yep, that's one of them. That's number two. And number one in 2002... Jaws re-release? Nope. Uh, Spider-Man. Ah. The first Sam Raimi one, so... I think that's uh, pretty interesting, unlike Hayden Christensen's acting in Star Wars oh, Episode Lord. 2. I, th- I think we're going to have a lot of grist for the mill this episode. Right, so um, why don't we, I guess before we start talking about Attack of the Clones, uh, Rudy, out of all the different directors or producers you've sort of followed the careers of on the Artur cast, is there one that sort of surprised you as being, you know, more uh, enriching than you would have thought at the beginning? Oh, man. Uh, I I would say, like, really early on we did uh, a series on Sergio Leone Mm -hmm. uh, that I found greatly rewarding, just namely... Because I haven't really seen that many Sergio Leone films at the time, and I got to watch all of them uh, in order of, of, of release date. And uh, one of my favorite movies to this date came from that series, um, Sergio Leone's 1984 film, Once Upon a Time in America. Uh, I freaking love that movie, and it, if it wasn't for the auteur cast uh, and talking about Sergio Leone, I wouldn't have gotten to it. Like here in SequelCast, we've been doing our show since about um, 2000, uh, not, uh, 2009, I guess, in October 2009. And the most painful franchise for me to get through was uh, Highlander. <laughs> yeah, I think after that, the first Highlander film, it, it doesn't go so well after that. And there's like six or seven of them. Yeah, there should have only been one, but no. There was uh, <laughs> several. 
The the last one is this direct-to-video travesty where they're trying to find, like, the origin of why they're immortal. And um, it's made on a budget of $2 and was a direct-to-sci-fi channel film in which they kill off all the favorite characters from the TV show and it just made everyone angry. I believe there's a remake in the works for Highlander. Yeah, they've, oh, there been, is. they've been developing it a few years and Ryan Reynolds at one point was attached. That might still and- be the case. Um, but... What were you going to say, Rudy? Oh, I was just agreeing with you. Yeah, that there, uh, I, I believe Ryan Reynolds was attached at one point, but I'm not really sure if he is now. Right. That just makes me think of Sean Connery and the rumored reunion of all the James Bonds they're going to have at the Oscars coming up pretty soon in a week or two. And um, it makes me wonder if that's actually... I think that's going to happen, but like Sean Connery just has been out of the limelight since uh, oh, A League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, I guess. He's kind of old. <laughs> he, he is, and he's he's enjoyed golfing, and uh, he was recently... Uh, the only main movie thing he did is he did the voice in the lead role of a, uh, a Scottish and f- feature-length CG film called Sir Billy, where he's an old man on a skateboard with sunglasses. Huh. I don't know if that ever got released outside of Scotland, but you can look totally up the trailer totally on YouTube. It's uh, hideous. So, speaking of hideous, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. <laughs> oh, Jeez. Okay, BJ. That is uh, the worst name you could give a Star Wars movie. Well, what are some other names you could do instead of Attack of the Clones that would fit this film? The Clone Wars? Prelude to the Clone Wars? No, they Wars? actually have done a pretty good job with the Clone Wars, though. <clears throat> uh, as far as the cartoon goes. I think people well, don't I mean, give it enough not. credit. We'll get there, though. Yeah. Uh, Rudy, can you think of an alternate title aside from Attack of the Clones? Uh, the Clone Wars would have been nice. I mean, I, I yeah. think... The big reason why he, George Lucas, that is, went with Attack of the Clones is because it's supposed to mirror The Empire Strikes Back. Mm, right. You couldn't say something like, send in the clones. Oh, <laughs> <Lord>. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a bit too precious, I'm Here afraid. Here we go again. Uh, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones is the only film I saw at a midnight screening. I didn't have to wait. I waited in line maybe an hour before the movie started. And I, I felt kind of like Stockholm Syndrome, because you wait in line that long, you kind of have to convince yourself the movie's good. Uh, Matt, were we both at the same midnight screening? No, I, I was in Atlanta, Georgia at the time. It was right uh, before I, I started school in Savannah, where... Um, you know, it's funny, Matt, because this was right before I started school in Savannah. Was it? Okay, so did you see this yeah, in New Orleans, PJ? I, I went with the girl that made me decide that I didn't want to be in New Orleans anymore. Oh, she wasn't uh, swept away by the romantic dialogue where uh, you're not like sand. You're, you're not sticky and dry and painful. I'm or, actually <laughs> pretty sure that this movie is what drove her crazy. <laughs> did, you see, did you see this theatrically, Rudy? Oh, yeah. I, I, uh, I, I'm actually a really big Star Wars fan. Uh, fond memories of my 17th and 18th birthday where I had a Star Wars-themed birthday. Oh, okay. At that age. And, and proud of it. Uh-huh. I, I I did see Attack of the Clones um, at midnight on opening day. I actually waited uh, three hours in line, and, and um, I was really looking forward to it. I was not a fan of The Phantom Menace, but I thought to myself that that was, um, you know, George Lucas hasn't directed a film since 1977, and so perhaps uh, Phantom Menace was an, is an aberration. And so I, I just left it at that. He was going to make it up to me with Attack of the Clones. And boy, was I wrong. And actually, Attack of the Clones was um, 
I was so disappointed with Attack of the Clones that when Revenge of the Sith came out, I did not wait in line. I didn't even see it opening week weekend or, or opening week. I saw it two weeks later. Huh. I had a similar experience. And that reminds me of a story. I um, I've been married for two years, but you know, before then, when I was dating, I, I dated this girl. And she had all the Star Wars movies on DVD on the same shelf, except for Attack of the Clones. And I said, oh, not an Attack of the Clones fans, huh? And she said, no, it's stupid. And like any any woman I've met that's a science fiction fan really hates this film, Attack of the Clones. I think because of the romance and how uh, Anakin Skywalker so comes off a- as rapey, I guess. Like on our uh, Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast, uh, one of our listeners, Alex Herrick, Harris was requesting us to pinpoint the moment in the film when Padme finally gives in to Anakin's love, or to her love to Anakin. And it's right before they die. Uh, they're sent off to die, I believe. And that's when she says, I love you. But do you think she fell in love with them before that? Or it's when they're going to the arena? I feel like that's a pity, I love you. <laughs> that's what, it's, yeah. it's, it's very much not the setup they had with Leia and Han. No, no. That was, they were building that the entire series. But you couldn't do that in episode one with Anakin being so young. Then it would just turn him off really creepy. Well, and then you look. I mean, at it was already creepy enough that you could. You already knew it was going to happen. Yeah, and have you ever seen any of these deleted scenes um, on Attack of the Clones? Because they they filmed all these endless scenes of dialogue with Anakin and Padme, and they visit Padme's parents. And uh oh, Anakin's got to talk to the in laws and say, um, you know, if he's serious about this relationship, and. It's boring. As, they're boring as crap, and I don't think they would they would have helped either. Um, would you yeah, have swapped any of the scenes that made it into the film with any of the deleted scenes? There is a nice scene of yet another nightmare Anakin has about his mom, where um, Padme is being kind of comforting to him. That I thought was interesting, but it doesn't help with Hayden Christensen. I'm sure as a fine actor and other things, but just the line readings, it's just so. Um, almost too reserved. Maybe he's trying to be too subtle for a Star Wars movie. I, like, I don't know. It's really tough to, to criticize. I'm not a very good actor myself with the theater I did in high school and college and stuff. Well, I, I think Caden Christensen is um, is a fine actor. I've seen him in other things besides uh, the Star Wars movies, and he's mm-hmm. always done a better job, I felt. I mean, it really does come down to the, the, the script written by George Lucas and also the direction uh, of George Lucas that... We have great actors in these movies. We have Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman, uh, Samuel L. Jackson. But in the series, they absolutely do nothing. They just kind of lie there, and they're very—they're not very interesting. And it, it really does have a lot to do with um, the director behind the camera, uh, George Lucas, that not having, I guess, the patience or the willingness to, to direct actors, uh, it's not really his um, forte. And you can see it on the screen. There's absolutely nothing going on. Yeah, I mean, you look at this film, it reminds me of a story from the production of Empire Strikes Back, where George Lucas at one point was being really upset that director Irvin Kirshner was going over budget, and so he recut part of Empire Strikes Back in the style of Star Wars, where it was like less dialogue and more action, and it totally ruined the pacing of the film. And I mean, that that little, whatever, assemblage of the scenes he did, that's never been released, but I think of it in my mind, think of how much Irvin Kirshner did with Empire Strikes Back, how much... George Lucas, in some ways, I think, is better as an idea man than when he actually executes the stuff. It just sort of falls flat. Like well, I, the, the ideas are fine, but I, I think George Lucas has a great visual eye. I mean, I, I, he does have a, a, a certain command in the camera in, in that respect. 
um, in, in terms of the technical side of directing. I, I said this on uh, we we also we covered um, the career of George Lucas on the Autorcast, and we we talk, uh, very recently just talked about Attack of the Clones, and I still think the action sequences, or at least some of the action sequences in in this film, are pretty good. Uh, namely, the the Obi Wan Kenobi Jango Fett uh, uh, action sequence, I enjoy quite a bit. Well, you know, he does something that very few uh, di- action directors do, which is he lets you see the fight. You could really appreciate yeah. the fight yeah. choreography and the space that it's in. And I, I, I said this on the Autor cast again, where um, I, I had recently watched the new film um, Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters, which is a terrible movie. Okay, yeah. And then the next day I watched uh, Attack the Clones, and Attack the Clones was like watching Citizen Kane <laughs> in comparison to <laughs> Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. And, and the action sequences in Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters were just terrible, like just uh, incoherent, really couldn't tell what was going on on the screen. It, uh, I thought it was just one of the... So far, it's one of the worst movies I've seen this year. And the action sequences in Attack of the Clones are very well-paced. They're very well put together. And I, I really appreciated George Lucas in that respect. When you actually see what a bad movie looks like, uh, Attack of the Clones looks like a masterpiece in comparison. I think the first half of Attack of the Clones is uh, is pretty compelling. I like the whole sort of... I don't know, the spaceship chase throughout Coruscant at night where you have the neon lights. And yes, it's very reminiscent of things like Blade Runner and Akira and so forth. But it has a nice movement and momentum to it. And then the whole sort of mystery plot of Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, investigating, um, you know, where the the dart that came from to Kamino with all this stuff with Jango felt, like we said. And then the romance stuff kind of falls flat and... I, I don't know, uh, when I saw it in the theater, I, I remember these uh, these girls in front of me were laughing, and they said, well, why is it a different actor for Anakin when they kept Natalie Portman the same? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a fair question, I guess. But, I mean, Natalie Portman's a great actress, and uh, it's and she has wonderful costumes. But yeah, and it, it really does seem like um, a lot of the missteps in Attack of the Clones really does come from... Uh, uh, the Phantom Menace, uh, like casting mm. Jake Lloyd, casting Anakin Skywalker at, at a very young age, like he's eight years old, I feel was a big mistake. I think if they cast someone who was uh, like a, a teenager, you know, who was like um, this cocky teenager who y- you can see that, you know, he, he likes to play it fast and loose, but he has a good heart to him. You can see that uh, – Char- like a character like that grow up to be Darth Vader. You can't see a kid like Jake Lloyd saying "Yippee!" You know, like, <laughs> to grow up to be um, Darth Darth Vader just didn't work. And I think because we had that in our minds for three years, going into Attack of the Clones, uh, it, it it doesn't work when you change actors. You know, midway through that now what we we get this cuddly love uh, lovable Anakin Skywalker, and now we're supposed to believe that he has. Um, like a dark streak to him. It, it, it's 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 one of the downfalls of of the whole series, in my opinion. Well, if I could uh, comment on the relationship, uh, one of the things that that really you know uh, bugged me was that when, when it comes down to it, you know, Anakin at this point, having been in the Jedi Order, has lived a very cloistered life. And, ha- and clearly, you know, has not had much exposure to women. So uh, his initial romantic fumblings, I found very endearing. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it felt like you know what if if you if you if you took him away from his family and made him live like a monk and then sort of live past his sexual formative years, 
and then he gets in contact with the only woman outside of his mother that he ever really knew. I think like having a, I guess a, for lack of a better term, a boyhood crush is a very natural thing. It's just that he never gets over it. And then after a while, Padme seems to be encouraging it. And it just, it makes them both look bad. I actually think that the uh, the Obi-Wan's like, love story arc they did in the Clone Wars was a much better you know, Jedi in love um, image. I think it was a lot more interesting because it really dealt with the duties and that kind of the training that they would have as Jedi. This to, is the Cartoon know, Network uh, series? Yeah. So I've actually been watching um, the, the latest season. Uh, is it the one that just came on DVD of season four? So it's kind of fresh in my head. And this is about the time when all those events start to kind of kick up is you know, right after Attack of the Clones. So. I mean, one thing about this film I think that uh, is an improvement over Phantom Menace is Ewan McGregor's performance as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Maybe it's the beard he grew for the part. He has less of a silly haircut. But he really, you know, his voice sounds more like Alec Guinness, and he really throws himself into it, even if the lines are a bit silly. Um, he, he, he's giving he it his all. I don't feel like job. he's phoning it in. Well, like, he, they he did, did a great job making him look like Alec Guinness, mm-hmm. like as they went through the movies, kind of going from that young boy to looking like Obi-Wan Kenobi that we know. Well, it seems like he had more to do in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith in comparison to the Phantom Menace. I mean, with the Phantom Menace, he's not really doing much except, you know, hanging out with uh, Qui-Gon Jinn, you know, and, and just yeah. learning rather than actually doing. I think, in fact, with, with Episode 2, you could have just made the whole movie focus on Obi-Wan and make Anakin more incidental. Uh, Obi-Wan mm-hmm. does come off as a much stronger character in this film. And, and I think that's one of the biggest, sure. another big problem with this, the prequel trilogy is Obi-Wan Kenobi should have been the main protagonist. We should have been mm-hmm. following his journey rather than Anakin Skywalker. He is the more interesting character and in, in putting him in kind of like that Luke Skywalker position of, of seeing a, a hero's journey would, would definitely benefit to, than seeing Darth Vader's quote-unquote hero journey. Yeah, and I think he tried to do that, though, especially with, you know, having Qui-Gon die so early off in, you know, in the series. That, that you know, it mimics the whole Obi-Wan dying for Luke. I just wish they had brought Qui-Gon around as, you know, the like the Obi-Wan ghost. Yeah. I mean, even, you look at this film and... In Phantom Menace, even though all of Obi-Wan Kenobi's dialogue is pretty much, yes, master, mm, the negotiations were short, yes, master, I agree. You know, it's all, all these declarative sentences that don't really mean much of anything. It's still a sense of humor and enjoy to the part. And it is you get, to, uh, you get to see some of the bickering between Anakin and Obi-Wan, and that's okay. But, you know, by the time Revenge of the Sith comes along, that gets a lot better, the chemistry between the two actors. And because of that, the two characters is improved. Uh, Christopher Lee as Count Deku. He is a he's a, 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 a great guy, one of, one of my favorite actors, B-movie or otherwise. I And he has some stuff to do, but overall I feel the character is pretty weak. I care yeah, so about him. It's one of those things where they, I think they brought him in too late. You know, it's... They have a tendency to, to Boba Fett a lot of, of bad guys in this series. Uh-huh. And I use that by, like, they kill them off really quick. Like, everybody thinks they're going to be really awesome, and then, you know, even Jango Fett dies off in this one. You know, just like Darth Maul, and then, you know, uh-huh. uh, Count Dooku dies in the beginning of the, 
the next movie. It's now. What do you think about that, Rudy? The contrast between how cool Darth Maul looked with all his backflips and everything compared to Count Dooku, where it's like a stunt double with face replacement half the time. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I, I really can't blame Christopher Lee. Well, for no, 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 no. He's, he's man by the, by the time he's making sure. these movies. I, I, I guess another reason why I think the the prequel series is pretty much a failure, except perhaps the last one. You guys are right that the lack of a, a very strong villain in the original Star Wars trilogy, we had Darth Vader throughout the whole thing, and, and this one, uh, we're picking and choosing like which who's going to be the the villain. I, I still feel that one of the biggest mis- another big mistake George Lucas made was killing off Darth Maul at, at the beginning of at the end of the Phantom Menace. If we had Darth Maul throughout the whole series. That would have been interesting. Like George Lucas denied uh, Star Wars fans the the chance to see an Anakin Skywalker Darth Maul lightsaber battle. Imagine how cool that would be. Yes, if Darth Maul would have been the Darth Vader of the prequel trilogy, and then Darth Vader had to strike Darth Maul, or Anakin had to strike Darth Maul down, and that's how it became, you know, is the final tipping point to become Darth Vader. That would have been real something to see. Well, you know, something I'd like to touch on, when, when we talked about the original trilogy, we talked about how uh, many of its strongest points and strongest bits of world building came from statements characters make, which are never bogged down with exp- uh, with exposition, like you know, referring to Kessel and the regional governors and things like that. And one thing that I find in the prequel trilogy, particularly Attack of the Clones, is there are statements made about the about sort of the world these characters are in that I really feel need clarification, and the 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 two that always stand out one being the idea that Count Dooku is a former Jedi so wait you can just retire, and then two the whole thing with the Jedi archives and like well only a Jedi could have ch- could have changed that data well how and why I I only have your say so. Well, you was, the thing is, that's kind of, if you know the expanded universe, you understand the whole concept of the Jedi holocrons, and you need to be Force-sensitive to activate and use them. Yeah, but uh, it's, uh, I don't feel that I should do that much homework to watch a Star Wars movie, though. <laughs> I mean, come on, I mean, well, do, you, do, you, do you really... It, it could have just been one of those nods to people who do, you know, and it's one of those things where if oh, you sure. know it... It's it's kind of like oh I get it I understand that that's awesome yeah but you but really then if not expect. most people brush it off and I think that's a majority of of uh, of theater goers I mean I, well, one of the like one of the things about the Avengers before it was released was the the big question was this movie going to be successful because it seemed like you had to do so much homework before getting into it right luckily the Avengers worked because Joss Whedon made it um it, and. I think Star, like a lot of Star Wars, especially uh, in Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith, if you have to rely on so much backstory and and uh, pre theater reading to understand what's going on, that's really a failure of, of of the writer and director George Lucas. Yeah, and I mean, we, you talk about some of the themes you didn't like Thrasher. I mean, one plot line that gets it's central to the mystery that they just drop and never explain, except I think in one of the novels is uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi goes to Kamino, and there's the clones, and like, oh, the, the clones were ordered by Master Sifo-Deus. Oh, but he's been dead for ten years, you know, how could this happen? And they never explain what that is, if that was an actual person, if sifo was like an, an alias for Darth Sidious or something. Well, I actually assumed it was Darth Maul, because that should have hmm. been about the right the time that Darth Maul was killed. 
well, the, well, I always thought that like Cipher Dias. Oh, clearly that's an alias. It has Cipher right there in the name. But of course, I didn't see that borne out. You know, in the earlier version of the script, uh, Master Cyphodeus was named Master like Sidodius, where it was obvious it was supposed to be Sidious or something like. Oh Lord! Yeah. So, like, I, I like that they build a mystery, but it never goes anywhere. And then at the end, you you are starting the Clone Wars, and you have so much stuff going on. You get to see the the lightsaber fight where Yoda does backflips. When I saw this in the theater, people went crazy, but I rolled my eyes. I don't think it. I, I like the CG Yoda how he looks. I think it's a lot of nice detail on it, but. They could have had a, bottle, a battle of the minds using force pushing and stuff. I don't know if I needed to see Yoda whip out his lightsaber and hop around like a frog on acid. I kind of liked it. I, I thought I it was interesting to see, you know, you you don't realize how powerful that Yoda is. Yeah, he can lift a, you know, he can, sure, he can pull the X-Wing out of the swamp, but you don't, you, everybody's lifting X-Wings in the in the prequel trilogy. Well, if if I could comment on that, I I actually did did enjoy that that fight scene. I mean, the, the, I mean the fact the fact is Yoda is is a Jedi Master. He should be capable of some really impressive things, uh, and I like that we got to see him do some impressive things. But the thing that really made that fight scene work for me is that at the beginning of the fight scene. And and this you know it really goes into the 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 animation team that put the CGI Yoda together. His facial expression and his body posture really communicates. Really, we're going to have to have a fight now. You know, I don't want to do this. You know, it, it, in in his body posture, he's communicating the whole notion of wars don't make one great. You know, he's reluctantly getting into combat because it is a last resort, and that's what made that fight scene work for me. Yeah, I had I had no problem with the. The fight per se. I mean, it didn't. It, it's kind of anticlimactic. I mean, it's it's kind of cool to see it. It's it's really cool to see it. I mean, I was one of the people who cheered uh, when that that happened on the screen. But me too. It, it ultimately. I mean, it doesn't. Nothing gets resolved. You know, maybe that goes to the greater point about resorting to 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 uh, to battle. But I mean, how, how does that fight scene end? You know. Uh, yeah. It, it's kind of anticlimactic, and it, it just. Uh, uh, the only thing it did was dazzle the audience, but it, it served absolutely no pur- purpose. That's it, true. Doku did get away. He did. It, it reinforces George Lucas's uh, career obsession with characters losing body parts in, in all these different films. With Whether it's an arm being sliced off by Obi-Wan Kenobi in the cantina in the, the original Star Wars, or you know, like a heart being ripped out of uh, the, the guy in the Temple of Doom. You know, and that's, a, a, a lot of the the prequel lightsaber battles have zero meaning behind them. If you if you look back at the original Star Wars um, trilogy, lightsaber battles meant something. Like the one in um, A New Hope in Episode Four, Obi Wan and um, Darth Vader. Uh, the, the meaning behind that is also showing Luke that you know our bodies are are temporary, and uh, this death will make me, you know, the death of Obi-Wan Kenobi just makes the the rebel forces stronger. The the, the next lightsaber battle in Empire Strikes Back, it's a father going, I mean, it's a son going up against his father for the first time, and uh, Vader is toying with him, and it's it's a thrilling uh, lightsaber battle, but it had meaning to it, and especially in Return of the Jedi, um, the lightsaber behind that is just pure rage and pure emotion that 
now I am better than my father and I'm going to uh, cut my father's arm off or hand off. Um, these lightsaber battles mean something. And in the prequel uh, trilogy, they really don't mean anything. They just, it's flashing lights and, and, and cool choreography and I'm all behind that. But they really don't uh, move, a, a, move the story or B, inform the audience of what these characters, who the characters really are. Yeah, and and there also I think there's too much lightsaber action. I I, I mean, because really a lightsaber, I see it as is kind of a dueling weapon. Dramatically, it's most appropriate when one person with a lightsaber is going up against one other person with a lightsaber. But when we see an entire army of Jedi just mowing down countless opponents, it it not only does it it, it removes a lot of the tension of the war because it makes it seem like a one sided fight. And it's also it's just too much cool stuff happening at once. I mean, all the sort of uh, introduction of the Clone Wars stuff, where you get these big epic battle shots of uh, the Separatists fighting the Republic or whatever the two sides are called. I don't quite remember. It gets confusing in the movie itself, defining the root of the conflict. Well, that's a major issue. Yes, who's fighting it and why? I don't understand what's what's up with the separatists and the various other groups. I mean, I th- I think, presumably they want to be separate from the Republic, but what does that mean? I think Palpatine is playing both sides against each other. Well, I know that, but neither yeah. side is defined. No. Yeah, I, I had the well, problem. I, th- I think had you're the- actually seeing the opposite end of the Rebel Alliance versus the Empire. It's, I think it's supposed to kind of be an opposite mirror. I, I always had the problem in um, the Phantom Menace with, like, what was this trade blockade for? Like, who, who, who's paying taxes to who? And why are these taxes so unfair? Like, I, I never really understood that. Therefore, I, I didn't understand why, why escalate everything to 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 uh, to a war at this point? If if um, I mean, are these people just unhappy because their taxes are too high? Make room for huge plays with the HyperX Alloy Origin 65 mechanical gaming keyboard and the Pulsefire Haste wireless mouse. The Alloy Origin 65 has a functionally compact form factor, keeping the arrow keys while ditching the numpad and the F keys. The Pulsefire Haste is the lightest wireless mouse from HyperX, featuring a robust connection and the precision you need to click heads. The Alloy Origin 65 and Pulsefire Haste Wireless, a terrific twosome to keep your setup clean and clutter-free. And they do seem to have a functioning democracy. You'd think that they could just have their representatives petition uh, and campaign to have those lowered. I mean, it's a first step, right? I mean, you don't want to jump to war automatically just because you have some dispute over over uh, over, over trading routes. I, I, I never really understood why have a blockade. Like, why have like why do you need uh, <laughs> uh, 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 Queen Amidala's approval for an invasion? I never understood like the. The bits and pieces of what actually went into uh, this war, even though that th- these movies really are heavily based in the Senate, uh, it, it just it's just interesting to me that they keep changing the rules of of what's right and what's wrong and who who are the tyrants and who are not. I mean, I think I mean, it if- could be deliberately confusing so that you don't understand what's going on. But I want to understand. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's. I mean, I know maybe maybe that's giving George Lucas too much credit, but yeah, the, the dark side is clouding the audience to uh, knowing what's really going on. <laughs> that's what's really going on here. <laughs> I mean, are we going to see like Oliver Stone Wars? Are are we going to see Oliver Stone's like Senate Wars? 
where it's all this political backstabbing intrigue. Then, you know, Yoda comes up, to the left and back. To the left and back. (laughs) (laughs) It's, um... Yeah, like, I I do like the scene at the end, near the end, uh, in the arena, I think, almost would have been a better climax of the film than the lightsaber fight. Because you get these fun sort of monsters that they all fight, and you get the kind of epic battle, even though it's sort of chaos for chaos' sake, where, oh, look, it's a zillion Jedi running around, and you hear lasers going everywhere, but you don't know who these Jedi are. This guy has floppy, uh, you know, ears or whatever, and this guy... That initial uh, arena stuff, I really, really liked because it's one of the few fight scenes in the movie where where something is at stake. Uh, Anakin and Padme are going to die. Mm-hmm. They seem to be mowing down a lot of Jedi in that that whole scene. It's like they brought all of their you know possible newbies just to get slaughtered in that scene. I'm a bit bothered by the concept of, like, Jedi children in the film, because isn't the point of Anakin that he was special, that he was a little kid? Well, they in all the movies, they, they made reference to, you, uh, you know, to, like, Luke being too old for the training, and that there's, like, an ideal age to get started, which presumably, you know, does mean, like, maybe even a preteen, although, yeah, we do see some pretty young kids. I think you're actually supposed to be somewhere like before you start really understanding, you know, emotional attachment type stuff. To like where you you're, it's before you really have a concept of mom and dad. Aside from these are people who feed me and clothe me. But I I, I never really fully understood why Jedi's had to be emotionless. Like why. Why is attachment and love and emotion such a bad thing for Jedi? I mean, if if they are the keepers of the peace, wouldn't being sympathetic and empathetic to your fellow man, therefore having that that similar connection, be a imp- pretty important duty to have? Well, empathy is goes uh, as part of their thing, but it's it's those personal attachments where you become intertwined with another human's life. Well, I, I, I was because assumed, they think it can cloud your judgment of you know thinking about the greater picture. I always assumed it was kind of like a a, a a Zen Buddhist thing. You don't want to be too attached to this to this physical world, and I, I think that just in trying to adapt, because there's always been a touch of Eastern philosophy in in what we see of the Jedi in the movies. I think while trying to develop develop that kind of thing for the prequels, that it just the concept got muddled. Yeah, and while, you know, comparing it to, to Buddhism, that might be an interesting analogy. I don't think that makes it um, makes the characters very interesting when they're supposed to, you know, kind of be the equivalent of... If Seinfeld was a show about nothing, Jedis are supposed to be, you know, like knights about nothing. And you have personal attachment to your 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 Padawan learner or your yeah. Jedi, <laughs> you know? I mean, how, how does that help you out? In making decisions, because sometimes well, you're supposed to learn to get over it. It's kind of, it's kind of, you're. That's part of the process is learning that, you know, it's it's all part of the process and not something that you can't be too attached to them because they are going to pass. You still have to keep your mind on, you know, protecting the Republic and you know the greater good of the people of the galaxy. But do you think that within the Jedi Order, there's like some broke back lightsaber uh, affairs going on? Between the Master and Padawan? Oh, I'm sure there is. Uh, 
But that's the kind of people who end up, you know, going to the dark side. Which actually makes it interesting. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, more so because they've shown that those kind of, you know, look at Anakin. His whole fall to the dark side was over his obsessive love to, with Padme. Well, and his mother, to that same... Yeah, not being able to let go, which, like I pointed out, the, the, they did a story about Obi-Wan um, being in love with the Duchess of Mandalore and how he had to make a decision to leave the Order to be with her or to, you know, stay being a Jedi Knight and protecting a galaxy. Hmm. So they do some really great stuff with him making that choice, you know, and talking about that time, especially when Anakin finds out about it and he kind of... Tells him about it, and then you're like, "Oh, Anakin doesn't listen." It, the show's actually really good in the later seasons. That is going to be a good episode of the sequel cast when we get around to it. To the spinoffs and stuff, yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Hey, Matt, are we going to talk about the Clone Wars, um, the original Clone Wars animated series that was produced between well, Attack we can of do the Clones? That, sure. Oh, that was by Gendy uh, Tartakovsky, who he I, recently directed that film, uh, Hotel Transylvania. I believe so. Yeah, uh, with the Adam Sandler as the Dracula or whatever. I haven't seen that. I've heard it's funny, but I haven't seen that one. Uh, did you ever see that, Rudy? Uh, no, I actually I missed that one in theaters. Uh, what about the Clone Wars cartoon that was on Cartoon Network? Really? Uh, I, I watched the Clone Wars cartoon uh, yeah. like early 2000s. I watched it. Uh-huh. And I, I've actually I watched a couple episodes of the, the new Clone Wars. I watched the Clone Wars movie in 2008, and yeah. I was... Uh, they're just wrapping up season five right now, and I've been catching a bit of that. There's a pretty epic Darth Maul. Uh, if I, I hope, sorry if I spoiled anything. Oh, Darth no, that's fine. <laughs> well, uh, the storyline they're doing with Darth Maul and his brother is actually really interesting. Yeah, there's a pretty cool uh, lightsaber battle between Darth Maul and Darth Sidious and, and, and his brother, which is, which is pretty, pretty cool. I had a hard time getting through the first season of the CG Clone Wars show, but the animation gets much better after that. Um, oh yes, initial and the pacing and everything. I think the Tartakovsky stuff was was pretty neat, and it was novel how each episode I think originally was like two minutes long, and then they eventually expanded a bit. But uh, you actually cannot get them um, now. You have to find them like used. Oh, the outer print. Oh, yeah, damn. yeah. There, yeah. I've I've only got one volume. I got the second volume, the stuff that immediately precedes um, Revenge of the Sith. But I haven't been able to find the first volume. You know, I, BJ, I really there's like a store one. down the block from my house that has volume one. I would pick that one up because that one was the hardest one to find. I could get that and mail it to you if it's still there. You could pay me back. Okay, it's fun to talk about financial transactions on the sequel <laughs> cast. Uh, hey, you know what? It's about Star Wars merchandise. Merchandise. And one thing that's important yeah. about Star Wars merchandising. Is there anything about Attack of the Clones that you wanted to talk about, Rudy, that we haven't covered? Uh, well, it's, it's just, it's a pretty silly movie. I mean, yes. I'm not, I'm not the, the biggest fan of uh, of Attack of the Clones. I think a lot of the, the logic just seems stupid. I mean, namely in the, the chase scene at the beginning, like, why would a, why would an assassin or, or a bounty hunter in, in Django Fett hire another bounty hunter to, to do his job for him? Like you know, that something kind of else about that bounty hunter that really bothered me, I, I hate the cliche of the shape-shifting alien assassin, especially a shape-shifting alien assassin that is also wearing a mask. Well, also the, the shape-shifting uh, assassin is trying to blend in, and they do a terrible job uh, at that. Yeah, I mean, it, 
the other thing, I mean, one alien design I think that actually works in the film is a character you see for like all of five minutes, the kind of grizzled space chef in the diner that Obi-Wan talks to, where he has the the, must, the peppery mustache and the big sort of uh, glottal kind of waggly Dexter. thing. Dexter, yeah. You know what's funny is that I kind of liked, like, I liked, I kind of liked that character, and I liked that we get to see an immediate, like, I, we get to see a, a friendship between who, two characters that is communicated so quickly and established so well, and then yet at the same time, well, wait, when did Obi-Wan have time to make this friend? You know, maybe his many adventures that we don't get to see between the it, movies. Exactly. Maybe he stops there for his blue milkshakes. You know, after his Jedi training. I might never know. Um, okay, so on a scale of one to five stars, let's go around and uh, rate Attack of the Clones. Uh, I'll begin. I think Attack of the Clones is perhaps the most mediocre of the prequels, but I think the first half outweighs the second. I give it two out of five stars. Rudy? I, w- I would give it one out okay. of five stars. What pisses you off the most about this film? Uh, what pisses me off? I, I think the fact that it, it's it's really long and, mm-hmm. and pointless. I mean, it's it's the longest movie out of all six Star Wars films, I believe. But what happens? I mean, there's not what happens in this movie that that um, it, if we're supposed to compare this movie to The Empire Strikes Back, yes. there's a lot that happens in that movie that that's absolutely thrilling. Um, it, it it moves the the narrative along, but it also lets us know about these characters you know lets us know uh, we have a deeper relationship with han solo meeting lando calrissian for the first time is pretty awesome and he's he's a well-developed character the moment we meet him we have nothing like that in attack of the clones and it it just seems like a really pointless exercise to get from phantom menace to revenge of the sith uh through the movie anakin pines about like my mother my mother is uh is uh, i have to know what's going on with her but we were only with her for like a minute you know, and and yeah. then there's a death scene that really that, that doesn't show anything. It's everything is, is always talked about and never never done. There's never really a sense of urgency, even though it's a it's a really long long and boring film. Uh, that there's so much that really upsets me about Attack of the Clones, just in terms of movie going. More so, the stuff I do like, if I want to emphasize that, it looks great. I, I think everything about it is uh, the visually is impeccable, but. It really doesn't add up to much when you know this movie could have just been perhaps a half hour shorter. Yeah, one of our listeners did a really good description in one sentence of the Anakin Padme relationship. You know how he got Padme to fall in love with him. He said, uh, Alex Harris said, after exhausting all the tricks in the book, Anakin played the pity card. <laughs> well, isn't that the best? Alex way to is one of the. I, it would be really fun to have Alex on a show. He's he's honestly one of the best directors I ever met in in film school. I mean. Not that you know you really get that many great directors in film schools, but I've, he's really talented, and you should have him as a guest sometime. Sure, uh, BJ, what do you give Attack of the Clones out of five stars? Uh, I give it a two, um, only because it felt like more than one movie in, in in just squeezed into one. Like there were so many different things going on, they could have split two different movies out of the whole thing. And Thrasher. Uh, I'm going to give this film three stars, and I'll tell you why. Out of all the prequel trilogy, 
this is the one that I enjoyed seeing the most. Uh, mm. I really enjoyed seeing it opening night. Uh, when I catch it on cable, I will usually watch the movie for, for whatever reason. This is the one that I just enjoy watching. However, every time I get to the end of the movie, I feel like all I've seen is a whole bunch of blustery hoopla. Blustery hoopla <laughs> that I really enjoyed, but still blustery hoopla. Uh, and that's where the three stars come from. Can I talk about the only thing in this movie I absolutely hate? Uh, go on, yes. Okay. I'll try not to make this too long of a rant, but... Uh, and and I, I say I say this as somebody who I you know I, I I don't like cigarettes I think it's a it's a bad habit and I don't but I don't like the sort of editorializing in the movie where there's the alien uh, trying to sell cigarettes in the nightclub towards the beginning of the film which right off the bat uh, are just flat out called death sticks yeah who is going to smoke something called a death stick you got to give it a cool name like. Death stick sounds like it sounds like it should be the most nasty hardcore drug in the galaxy, not just an analog for cigarettes. But then, two, the the Jedi mind trick, which up until this point has been treated with a certain amount of reverence and is not really overused, becomes the vehicle for a bad joke. Apparently, you could just Jedi mind trick someone into reevaluating their entire life if if it's for a joke. Uh, Rudy, did you ever read at all about the live-action Star Wars show that Lucasfilm is trying to get off the ground? Uh, the, the the TV series? Yeah, the TV series. Uh, uh, somewhat. I mean, I think the last thing I wrote about was that it was in the works, that, like, Lucas, George Lucas, or Lucasfilm apparently has, like, 100 hours of, of entertainment uh, just waiting to be produced. Yeah, they had it scripted, and uh, producer Rick McCallum described it as Deadwood meets Star Wars, which I can't oh. even imagine what that means. You're going to have people say, like, fuck all the time as they drink and stab people with lightsabers. I mean, I, I say that as someone that likes Deadwood, but it's a, it's a weird comparison. Ellen, in 15 seconds, what is Nice Games Club? It's our game dev podcast. Steven, help! Game mechanics, accessibility, art and animation, level design, prototyping. Everything that goes into making video games. How's that, Mark? Nice. Listen to Nice Games Club wherever you get your podcasts or at nicegames.club. Hello, my name's Jonathan Dunn, host of the O3C podcast. Every week I'm joined by my two best gaming buddies, Chris and Minty, and we talk about the games we're playing, the games we love, and how they rank alongside our sacrosanct top 100 favourite video games of all time lists. Deep dives into gaming mechanics, history and lore abound, all topped off with lashings of irreverent ride, British wit, witterings and wisdom. For details on the show and more, head to o3c.games and tune in every Monday on the HyperX Podcast Network. Make room for huge plays with the HyperX Alloy Origin 65 mechanical gaming keyboard and the Pulsefire Haste wireless mouse. The Alloy Origin 65 has a functionality compact form factor, keeping the arrow keys without the numpad and function keys. The Pulsefire Haste is the lightest wireless mouse from HyperX, featuring a robust connection up to 100 hours of battery life and is even water resistant. The Alloy Origin 65 and Pulsefire Haste wireless. Keep your setup clean and clutter free with the Alloy Origin 65 mechanical keyboard and the Pulse Fire Haste wireless mouse. Um, I think they're just trying to get that Western aspect. Yeah, they didn't maybe want to that's say right. like some sort of other Western because people, you know, you think about it a lot. How many, you know, people remember Gunsmoke? Right. I, I mean, I remember Gunsmoke, but you start thinking about, you know, the younger folks that they would aim this at, they know Deadwood. 
<laughs> Young kids love the Deadwood. <laughs> Ian McShane, he's like the uh, he's the Tim Curry Ian, to a you whole. You know what fourteen year old girls love? They love Ian McShane. Yeah, that that mustache. Who wouldn't? Jeez. Okay. Um, on that disturbing note, uh, we'll go into our segment pitch a sequel in which we pretend there was not a sequel made to Attack of the Clones, and we pitch our own idea for a sequel. So um, I, I'll begin. I think you would make it in the first five minutes. Anakin would like walk into a closet, bump into a corner, and the Darth Vader helmet would bane on his he- would fall on his head, and he couldn't get it off. And so it'd be a case of mistaken identity where people think he's scary with this mask, but he's really this clumsy teenager inside, and he accidentally kills all these people and becomes the paragon of evil. <laughs> now I'd call it Star Wars Episode Three: Darth Vader, I guess. Uh, Rudy, what's your pitch? Actually, I think if you take episode three and make that episode two, ah, okay, more interesting. And yes. that way, we can have an entire movie with Darth Vader as Darth Vader. Very good, and not see him in in a way that oh, he like he under these circumstances he became this evil thing. How about he becomes this evil thing at the end of the second movie, and then the third movie he's completely evil. And so by the time we see him in episode four, we don't feel any sympathy for him. Because I think that's another reason why I, I'm not a big fan of the prequel trilogy per se. I, although I do love Revenge of the Sith. I think that is an absolutely great movie. Um, Darth Vader is, is just is a victim of circumstance rather than an evil person. And I think for the character to work, he needs to be evil and not have any pity towards, oh, if he would have made a couple decisions one way or the other, he, he could have been a great Jedi. Well, and I, I love, I listened to your, your episode of AuteurCast on Revenge of the Sith, and West Anthony said, basically, George Lucas made a trilogy about how being a child killer, you can still be an okay person. Yeah. If you're redeemed he, at the end. He killed a lot of kids <laughs> at the at the end of Revenge of the Sith, and yeah. I don't know who you, who you are. You're not going to get redeemed for that. That's a, that's a pretty difficult point to argue. Uh, BJ, what's your pitch of sequel? Oh god! I mean, what do you do with this? Like, how do you, how do you continue on? Let's, how can we make this worse? Because he's already going down that path. So let's see. We join. Uh, we join the young Lando Calrissian, mm. as well as the young Han Solo and, Chewba- and, and Chewbacca, because uh, we have to bring him in. You know, since he's already been brought in on Episode Three, we'll bring into our Episode Three here. So we have Lando, Chewie, and Han, and Han hanging out when all hell breaks loose and the Clone Wars start. And sure enough, this is the Clone Wars that we mentioned in the last, uh, where it's actually clone, evil Jedi clones. And so what happens is Lando sells out Han, once again, to the evil Empire of Clones. So then we have an army of Han Solo clones then coming in because people <laughs> know how awesome he's going to be. I mean, they haven't even seen him be awesome, but they already know. So we're going to make we're going to make clones of Han Solo. And so then it will be Han Solo clones versus evil Jedi clones versus the real Jedi. Speaking of Han Solo, did you know for Revenge of the Sith they got as far as concept artwork for a young Han Solo that would have been running around the Wookiee planet of Kashyyyk? They actually that would have been really stupid. It would have been really stupid. I mean, they, there was concept artwork that's out there in some of those behind-the-scenes books, 
I think but, we'd be, th- be thankful they didn't go in that direction. Yeah, I mean, you would have had some line of dialogue that, I love you, Chewbacca, yippee! I don't know. It's... <laughs> I'm actually waiting for them to bring like young young Han and young Lando into the Clone Wars. So they've already oh, yeah. brought so much stuff into them that I'd really like to I'd like to see that. And I think that they could actually do well with it. They've done really well with the stuff that they have brought in. Now, do they know if the Clone Wars CG series is going to get a season six with the Disney buyout? It, it, it's um, actually moving to Disney XD. Oh, okay, that makes sense. No, 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 no. Oh hell! And, and to to, to I won't be able to watch it anymore because um, I don't have digital cable. It's going to be paired with um, the other Star Wars animated series, as uh, Star Wars Detours, I believe. Okay, right. They're going to put that on a Disney Channel. Oh, Disney owns it all, so I don't. I just like that. That seemed pretty risque for Disney. Like some of the things that I saw in it, the the previews didn't seem Disney styled, but. Well, Disney XD also has that Tron cartoon, which I understand is amusing, which I, I haven't seen yet, but um, Tron Uprising, I don't remember what it's called. Uh, so, Thrasher, what's yes, your... Yes, a Tron Uprising. Have you seen it, Rudy? Uh, I've seen the f- first episode. I, I'm, not, I'm not a big Tron fan. I, okay. I thought Tron was boring. But pretty. And, and Good music. Pretty uh, the music is great, you know. Yeah. Uh, Michael Michael Sheen, I, th- I think his name is, is, is yes. always great. <laughs> um, but come on, I mean, d- do I really want to see like a Thanksgiving dinner uh, like uh, kind of display uh, in the grid? Like, where, where do these like? There's like this civilization in the grid, and like, where's this government? You know, who who watches these people? Like, how how does this civilization work? I mean, if, if they can do a sequel to Tron that costs a zillion dollars, I mean, does that mean we're going to get a sequel to Willow down the road that's like $300 million? Why not? You, Maybe we'll get an animated series of Willow. Uh, yeah, I, I could see that, I guess. But uh, Thrasher, sorry to pass you over. What is your pitch sorry. a sequel for Attack of the Clones? You know, for what would be after oh. Attack of the Clones? All right, so uh, my, my pitch a sequel uh, is going to start in the, the deads. It's going to start out... Uh, is going to start out... Uh, Probably dead dead center in the Clone Wars, and here's what's going to happen. So, the the clone army puts down the Separatists, and it puts them down hard. Uh, and it practically brutalizes the Separatists. And about the time the war is about to end, all the clones realize, well, you know what? Once we're done putting this thing down, we're going to be wiped out. So somehow the clones are able to break their conditioning thanks to one very charismatic clone, very smart, very charismatic clone who may very well have some sort of mutation that allows for this. Uh, and so the clone army then turns on the re- turns on the rebellion before they can be exterminated. And that's the real Clone Wars. Are the clones, hmm. now that they've saved the Republic, they are going to take it over. And this is when the Jedi's get heavily involved because now the Jedi's have to fight against the clone army that they've been that they've been fighting with for so many years. And uh, it comes to light that this charismatic clone was actually specially engineered uh, by the race by the race on Kamino, uh, quite possibly as their own uh, you know long term plan to to conquer the galaxy and make it more Kamino centric. So Anakin is fighting as hard as he possibly can to to preserve the Republic and the safety of Padme and her home planet. And it gets to the point where he has to make a devil's deal with Senator with Senator Palpatine to make sure that the Jedi Order 
uh, gets the resources it's going to need to uh, to fight off the clones. And in the process of all this, when it comes to light that the uh, that the the people of Camino are responsible for this one clone tyrant that's gotten the whole uh, the, that's that's caused this twist in the Clone Wars. That's where the xenophobic empire really starts to arise. Because while Anakin's going out uh, preserving preserving the Republic, uh, Palpatine's going see see what aliens do when you give them too much power. They set a clone uh-huh. army on you. Okay, so. When Anakin comes home, so when the when the last clone soldier is dead and Anakin comes home from the war, the Republic he fought to save no longer exists. The Empire is right there in its in its place, but he's invested so much in preserving it that he reluctantly becomes the right hand man uh, of the Emperor. He kind of has this noble intention. Well, well, if I'm high up in the hierarchy, maybe I can keep a little bit of the Republic going. And from there, it's just a slow decline into the monster that we see in Episode 4. And I will call it Star Wars Episode 3, The Death of a Republic. Very nice. So there's some fun ideas in our Pitch a Sequel segment. We have our final segment of the show here called What You're Watching, where we talk about, well, a piece of media we've been enjoying over the past week. Uh, Rudy, what's something you've been watching the past week? Uh, I, I've actually been catching this new... Um, well, it's not new in um, in the UK, but in uh, in the States, it's pretty new. If you have Hulu Plus, yes. uh, the name of this TV series from the UK is called Fresh Meat. And I, I've been enjoying the hell out of this. If you guys are familiar with the, another British TV show called The Inbetweeners, um, which is about a, a group of four fairly average nerdy uh guys in high school and kind of their misadventures they get through be uh through high school being awkward teenagers um this tv show kind of feels like an extension to that where we follow awkward uh teenagers going into college and living in um uh, in student housing rather than dorms because the dorms have filled up and uh they have to live in student housing and kind of the misadventures that they get into uh while living off campus in this uh, student housing bubble. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Uh, I was watching it, and I, I thought to myself, oh, I can't wait till MTV uh, remakes this for <laughs> for their network, because they did it with um, the uh, with Skins, if, if, you, if you're familiar with that show, and they did it with right. okay. Tweeners, actually. Uh, and I, I, I think the, in-between, the American Inbetweeners just got canceled. Um, and this show just kind of screams, like, MTV will remake this into... An American ver- Americanized version of it, but I, I've been enjoying it quite a bit. Something I've uh, been trying to catch up on some of the Oscar films, and I'm way behind. It's really difficult to watch, uh, you know, like ten, fi- ten, nine or ten films to prepare for the Oscars. Um, or at least, you know, like I, I'm married, I got a two cats and a dog, and my day job keeps me very busy. But I, I did get a chance to catch um, Silver Lining Playbook, which I think while the story was pedestrian, the acting was very good. And Chris Tucker is surprisingly good in it. I'd like to see him do more stuff. Apparently Chris Tucker is doing another movie with Jackie Chan that is not going to be called Rush Hour, even though it's basically the same thing. They're just going to end up changing the name to Rush Hour 3 towards the end of the filming. It would be 4. Or, They've already done 3. Four? Yeah, 4. I don't know. So. That could be the case. Another rush hour or something like that. And Jackie Chan might be starring in The Expendables 3, which is supposed to film this summer. So, yippee. Okay. Uh, BJ, what's something you've been watching? 
Uh, I've been watching Clone Wars season four. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, you got I'm, the. I am almost on. Uh, I'm on the last yes. disc. Uh, just where it got to the whole uh, finding Darth Maul and uh, rebuilding his legs and stuff. Uh, so, what do you think with the Clone Wars later on in the seasons? They get to the um, style of having one story being stretched over four episodes, as opposed to having a bunch of standalone shows in their first few seasons. I actually like it because um, yeah. you get to, you get to really do a lot of development with uh, especially the minor characters. Even if some of them were a little hokey, like when they did a, they did a whole like series of about a bunch of droids, and you know R two D two being you know some sort of crazy badass type. I, I mean, they, you know, it's obviously that one was aimed at the kids, but they do some other good ones that are. Um, they did a, a set with Ahsoka, again dealing with the attachments where she's she's kind of fallen and gotten a thing for this boy that she met, and. They're, they help him uh, start an insurrection against the separatists on the on their on his planet, and it's a really interesting uh, setup because hmm. you kind of get to see because you've seen it before with you've seen it with Anakin, you've seen it with Obi Wan, and to kind of see that it's a recurring theme that all Jedi have to deal with this eventually is really interesting. And uh, Thrasher, what's something you've been watching? Well, I actually. Uh I have not been watching much because I was on the road all of last week. I was the uh, gaming guest of honor at VisionCon, which, by the way, was a fantastic convention. I want to give a shout-out to all the organizers and staff at VisionCon and also to the Mojo Brothers and uh, the Knights of Mojo. Fantastic guys. Also, Aaron Douglas, class act. Uh, But as far as uh, when I have had the time to take a break, uh, I've been reading... uh, uh, Revenge of the Rose, which is uh, one of Michael Moorcock's Elric novels. And it's been it's been very entertaining, although it has been a bit of a departure from uh, some of the other Elric books that I've read. Uh, you know, Elric, you know, as as usual, is on a fatalistic quest, but he's hopping from dimension to dimension with a poet from our own world, and uh, and they keep some, a recurring theme in this book is that Elric, the poet, and other characters they meet uh, kind of break off into these sort of philosophizing tangents. And yet, all of these tangents end right before anyone would make any kind of real point. And I'm, al- and I'm, tr- and I'm almost wondering if Michael Moorcock is trying to satirize mediocre fantasy novels that try to have a philosophical point to them. Hmm. Well, uh, Rudy, thank you very much for coming on the sequel cast to discuss Attack of the Clones with us. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, before we close out, I just wanted to get your thoughts with all the stuff you know around uh, Star Wars Episode Seven coming out. What do you hope they do for a storyline and broad strokes? Well, it, it, it appears to be. I mean, if if they're they're smart, I mean, this movie's going to make a a bajillion dollars. Oh yeah, it doesn't even matter if it's it's good or not. You know, this is this is kind of uh, you know it's it's guaranteed billion dollars at least and i can foresee that the i i do this for a living i I do the film blogging thing for a living and i can kind of predict how a movie is going to do critically uh and and with fanboys as well just just based on um the everyday hype surrounding it i can foresee that no matter what the qual, it's going to probably be a phantom menace thing again no matter what the quality is the Uh screening of it people are just going to absolutely love it um, I think it's it's going to be. I think it's going to be a good movie. I mean, I if again if they're smart, it's probably going to mirror 
A New Hope. I mean, it, the stuff I've been reading, actually, I, I just read this article about how Mark Hamill has his ideas of what Luke Skywalker is going to be like in these movies, that he's going to be like the new Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Um, teaching a new generation to be Jedis. And if, he, if he's going to be like the new Obi-Wan Kenobi in these movies, that would be great. I mean, if it to me, it just feels like it's really going to mirror what's going to be what episode four, A New Hope was like and i wouldn't be surprised if it's the same type of movie you know i'm just worried about like antagonists Mm -hmm. for it like how are you gonna some of the stuff they did in the expanding universe is just silly like the yuzan vong with their totally immune to the force i thought that was just plain silly but you know where do you go after the empire right they can make it so like oh we 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 resurrected darth vader you know we have a clone of Darth Vader. That, that's what I hope they don't do. Is I hope they don't have like there's like a clone they did the, of the Dark Horse comics where they had clones of the Emperor. The Emperor, yeah. Like I hope they don't clone the Emperor, Darth Vader, and Darth Maul, and they're like a, a bad guy A team that have to fight. Like no, the, no, they have to up it. They're gonna they're gonna genetic combine their genetics in the clones, so it'll be a combination of Darth Maul, the Emperor, and uh, Darth no, Vader. no, and Boba Fett <laughs> <laughs> wearing Darth Boba Fett. Fett's armor. I, part of me wished that the director for Star Wars Episode Seven would have been a uh, German director Uwe Boll, because oh. because then the camera just would have been Boba Fett dancing in a dimly lit closet with the camera sh- jittering for three hours. I think J.J. Abrams is going to do a good job. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of J.J. Abrams. Yes, I, I think you know, for better or worse, uh, you live and die by his you know by the mystery box i don't think it works so well in in some movies i don't think that the whole mystery surrounding super 8 works so so well but i think it worked pretty well in the first star trek movie um i we're going to i i don't think we're going to get like his patented lens flares in, in in this movie i just hope it's not all told in flashbacks i i think we're probably going to get something similar to you know Star Trek, what he did with the, that first Star Trek movie. That's going to be nonstop thrill ride. Yeah, when I saw the first Hobbit movie, I happened to catch an IMAX screening. It just happened to be the time that worked best for me, and I was surprised to see the first ten minutes of uh, <laughs> Star Trek II Into Darkness. And that, frankly, I enjoyed much more than The Hobbit. And it I mean, reminded me... Isn't it amazing how J.J. Uh-huh. Abrams made Temple Run the movie with, with, the, with Star Trek Into Darkness? And, yeah, that first ten minutes is like the... The iPhone game uh, Temple Run meets uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, and it, it, I, this isn't really a spoiler, I guess, but tonally, parts of it remind me of uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. So we'll we'll see what they what they do with that stuff. And there's been a whole lot rumored about the film, and it's going to come out before too long. So I mean, out out of the summer releases, I think that one potentially has me the most excited. Although it makes me wish they'd get another damn Star Trek TV series on the air already. You know what? Maybe this mysterious villain we're seeing that uh, that uh, Cumberbatch is playing. Yep. Maybe he's evil Zephyrin Cochran from the Mirror Universe. Huh? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that that, uh, that would be cool. if they go back to the uh, oh yeah first contact kind of be cool yeah I know wait, wait you're talking about wanting to do another time travel Star Trek no, no, movie? universe traveling one last in, thing in that I mean, universe, well, Zephyr Zephyr Cochran Cochran does appear in the original series 
There's like a there's like one episode where he's like stuck on some like paradise right. planet. Oh yeah, yeah. So the, you the could companion. do that with evil Zephyr and Cocker where he's gone crazy from uh from being stuck there with beautiful women for, you know, centuries. So I guess closing out on Star Trek. <laughs> Maybe a, he's out of Viagra, I don't know. Closing out on a Star Trek on a Star Wars episode, I guess, is appropriate. Uh before we finally close out one final thing and I mean it this time, Rudy, not to um you know, go on for too much longer. Because time is a very valuable thing. With uh, did you ever read about what the uh, William Shatner cameo for the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek was scripted to be? No, I mean I, I would assume it would be similar to the Leonard Nimoy one. It would have been embarrassing. I, I read a, a clip of what an interview of what it would have been with one of the screenwriters, and at the end, you know the the old Spock goes to the young Spock and says how great friends he is with Kirk in the future. And he would have he would have played uh, a video message that would have been the the old uh, you know William Shatner as Captain Kirk singing Happy Birthday to Spock, Happy Birthday to you, Happy Birthday to you, Happy Birthday dear Spocky, Happy Birthday to you. I don't think he would have called him Spocky, but it would have been like that small of a cameo. And I think had William Shatner been in that film, he would have demanded a star part like he did in Star Trek Generations and. Um, I don't. I think it might have been a bit too much. I would have liked to have seen Shatner in the movie, but it was nice to see Spock. Yeah, I think what we have with the the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek film is fine. I mean, I, I I was I was definitely surprised when I saw Spock in that movie. Yeah, and uh, he did a good job. So uh, again, Rudy, thank you for being on uh, the sequel cast. Um, what what are you covering after? George Lucas on the auteur cast because this show will be out in a few weeks. Um, well, yeah, right now we are um, we just wrapped up our uh, our series on George Lucas and we're actually getting into um, something very similar. We're getting into uh, the, the Colors trilogy from from Polish ah. filmmaker uh, Krzysztof Kozlowski, and I think that <laughs> it's a kind of a nice contrast. I think. Yeah. Uh, I. So that's what we're, we're not doing. All of the works of Christoph Kozlowski. We're not doing the Decalogue or anything like that. We're just focusing on um, the Three Colors trilogy. I think that's very smart that you you split it up like that sometimes. Because if you tried to do like Akira Kurosawa, you'd spend a whole year <laughs> doing episodes on his films, and they're great and everything. But it's uh, nice to prevent burnout. I think when you watch and sequel cast, certainly when you watch all these sequels in a franchise, and towards the end you kind of start going a bit loopy. Yeah, I mean, we we tend to like we we know what we have pretty much the whole year plotted out what we're what movie what directors we're going to cover. Okay, and we do a pretty good job of of giving our listeners what they want. Like, namely, they wanted a Paul Thomas Anderson um, um, series, so we did a whole series on on his work. But then after we do like big series like that, we like to throw in lesser known directors just so uh, our listeners will get an opportunity to like maybe check. Some movies from Christoph Kozlowski, you know. Sure. And a, a great way uh, listeners can hear the AuteurCast is either go to battleshippretension.com or go to com or look up AuteurCast on iTunes in the movie section for podcast. Absolutely. So um, for the sequel cast, uh, this is Matt. And Thrasher. BJ. And BJ. And Rudy. And Rudy, hi. Yeah, saying...
the Caminoans are cloners. Ugh. 